Welcome to Real History, shows what you know about history. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and television shows, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up? How much did they sacrifice to get a great movie? Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about history. Um, my name is Michael Tynan, and as usual, I've come with way too many notes, uh, and the lads are looking at me shaking their heads here. Uh, my name is Mark, and I've just been on Twitter and seen a picture of uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm wondering why he looks like a cross between Mr. Spock and an ultrasound. Lovely. He, Great. He does look like an android, mm. you know? But like, what I don't understand is why he has a haircut like that, and he's that rich. Well, we can have a podcast complaining about the world of big tech. I'm sure it'll be very fruitful. We have lots of complaints to make, but we're actually here to talk about the film The Last Duel. Um, now, if I could give a quick one-sentence summary, if you haven't seen it, it's not my most cheerful one-sentence summary, but <laughs> in essence, um, a woman is sexually assaulted, and two men make it all about them and their safe, selfish interests, and they have a big fight about it. And that's basically how I would summarize this movie. For a brief second there, I thought you were going to say, it's not my favorite. A woman gets sexually assaulted, and that was it. I thought, you, I thought that was yeah. going to be your sentence. Like, no, mm. that's, I mean, that's that's in essence it. But, uh, you know, the men making it all about them is a big part of the movie as well. So, um, Michael, it, do you want to give us a few more details on sort of the, the making of the film and that? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I suppose... Like, it, this has been in the works for a while. Like, uh, uh, anyone who kind of has seen the movie has been out for about a month now, a bit more. It came out on October 15th, I think. Um, it's directed by Ridley Scott. So, as you'll know from our uh, trailer, we were very, very excited just to have a historical movie that was new to come out that we were, were going to be able to do. Yeah. Um, it's based on a uh, book called The Last Jewel by Eric Yeager. Um, which came out, uh, I think, about 15 years ago. It's an excellent read if anybody is interested in feudal society and everything that's involved in this subject. Um, it's The screenplay itself is by the famous duo of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Nicole, I'm going to pronounce this, Hull Don't Center. Mm. Yeah. Good effort. There you go. It's I did my effort. best, yeah. What's weird about this film is I liked it, I think you guys liked it too. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like everyone liked it. It's like 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't easy to get, you know? Uh, but, like, there's no other way of saying this. It's It just has done absolutely shockingly terrible. Like, it's, I think at, you said, Jacob, last, at last check, it's made 28 million. 29? Yeah, like 29 million uh, against a budget of about 100 million. So, definitely. A, yeah, a box office bomb for sure, a certified bomb. I really enjoyed it when I came... Well, enjoyed it is probably the wrong word, which I think might be part of the problem. But I came out of the film and I was like, this is going to win awards. Uh, I can't wait to have loads of conversations about this film. It's really interesting. And every conversation I've had about the film has been me telling people it exists or and or talking about what a big bomb yeah. it is. And that's yeah. all the, the dialogue in the media and everything. Every article about this film is obviously about what a massive commercial failure it's been and trying to figure out why, whether it's millennials, which Ridley Scott... Ridley Scott blame, Ridley yeah. Scott blame, Thanks, blames Ridley. millennials. Or, you know, the the way they decided to market it or not market it and stuff like that. Or so. do we just blame James Bond coming out at the same time? Yeah, you know? exactly. The timing of it. Uh, loads of different reasons, but it's definitely the only thing people focus on. So I'm glad we're going to be able to actually talk about the film because just like you said... 
I thought it was um, as a piece of film, like as actual cinema, it's so good. It uses the medium of cinema in ways that is more inventive than, say, your James Bond or whatever. Now, also, I can understand with the subject matter why people would rather watch James Bond, especially during times of, you know, global upheaval where people feel unsafe. They might not feel like going and watching this. And I will say, definitely wouldn't flick this on, you know, for a quick rewatch. It's not a light film to get into. But as a piece of art, it is... uh, I thought it was excellent. And what did you think, Jacob, kind of the way it's put together? Like, there's, we'll go into it, obviously, but there's three main characters and the story is essentially told three times from yeah. three different points of view, you know? What did you think of that kind of as, a, as an idea? Yeah, that's, prob- that's sort of what I meant as well with, like, using the medium because it's, um, it's doing things that can't really be told, done the same way in, you know, a book or whatever. You can split it up from different people's perspectives, uh, limit the point of view character or, or what have you. Yeah. But literally, like, having the same events play out multiple times with differences based on who's telling the story and seeing something happen and going, like, I know that what I'm seeing right now isn't real. I'm in the person's head, but we are seeing this version of the story. That's just a really interesting thing that you can't really do anywhere else. And I think it's really effective and it's really relevant to the subject matter, obviously, which is about a sexual assault and uh, the different stories that people tell after the fact and fig- try- people trying to figure out what's uh, what's the truth and what's important to focus on. Because as I said, the truth becomes quickly irrelevant uh where it's all is about these two knights that want to uh fight each other and kill each other and it has almost nothing to do with the woman who has been horribly assaulted uh unfortunately so yeah uh, and a, a in very terms good of film, actors what did you think everybody like we've got i suppose the three main actors we've got matt damon we've got adam driver and then we've got uh, jody comer which uh Mark, you mentioned, I think, before, she's kind of the star of Killing Eve, the BBC show, yeah? Yeah. If anybody's seen that, uh, where she's very, very funny. Like, she's a very talented actor, you know? She is, yeah. And I think she's she's somebody who we could, like, we could regard as a sort of a rising star in Hollywood. And just the the point about the movie bombing, that, that was something that I found interesting because, like, I get the points you're making for sure, Jacob. Like, is this maybe a movie that you throw on you know watch with a bag of popcorn maybe not like but just on the basis that people people didn't go to see it and i'm wondering are we in an era now where the the draw of the movie star is a bit dead or maybe it's not the draw that they think it is because matt damon obviously is a very well established hollywood star for the last 25 plus years adam driver's about as big a name as there is now in hollywood and you have jody comer as a sort of a rising star um and yet nobody went to see the movie so i wonder if it's a combination of that and and maybe i don't know about you guys but i I didn't see very many trailers for it i didn't hear much about it not that i watch a lot of sort of conventional television but there wasn't there wasn't many trailers around i I, there was very few people talking about it i think anyone i know who saw it i'm the one who told them about it maybe it's going to become a cult film once it's on streaming sites and everybody's going to say oh how how come that did so badly before Mm. you know but so i suppose time will tell on that one you know i I don't think cult film necessarily because that needs that rewatchability, but it could be like a late critical darling. As you said, critical reception has been good. If it gets awards or what have you, people could come back around on it. 
Um, but like people have told us that they've heard about it through our trailer reaction, (laughs) you know, which isn't the best sign. I feel like people just haven't been aware. Plus it's not necessarily something you'd want to go out and see, but it is in my opinion, a a very good film. Um, but Hey, we're we're not here to talk about the quality of the film all day. Hopefully people will come around. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, Yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah. Ben Ben Affleck's got like bleach blonde hair. So, you know, check it out just for that, yeah. you know? This is in the this is in the middle ages like. But he he is also like he is also actually quite good in that. Ben Affleck yeah, in, in, yeah, in, yeah. in a side role. Like he's he's very much a, a side character. But I, I like I think the performances from all the all the leading actors are quite strong like. I yeah. think it's it's a well acted movie. And it is I don't know labor about Ridley Scott too much like but he is a director that I, I find very frustrating because he's clearly a master filmmaker. And he's, but he's a very prickly character. If you ever see him interviewed or whatever, he's a very sort of belligerent kind of guy. And uh, he has made some movies that I, th- I get the impression he thinks they should have done well, but they didn't for one reason or another. And he, he tends to, he sort of blames the audience or he blames, you know, he's blaming other people. Well, well, like, well, what's really, the, it's, it's the old time. saying, you know, a poor workman ba- blames his tools. Yeah, <laughs> there's know, a bit of that yeah, for sure. You know, so. He's also made a couple of movies where you're just looking at it going, that's just a bad script though. Like you're you're just you're just working with bad material. Like. You're moving from like the highs of Gladiator uh, to then maybe the lows of Robin Hood. When yeah, you, you exactly. Know. Well, this is this is what I mean. Like, what what on earth are you doing making that movie? Why are you making a movie about Moses and casting uh, like casting two white guys to play Moses and the Pharaoh of Egypt? Like, what like what's going through your mind? Like, I'd forgotten that's about a good, that one. Good idea. Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> maybe that's a future episode where I can really dig in and have a go. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's very versatile in that he always makes whatever movie he makes to the utmost of his ability and they're all, like, they can turn out very different from one another just yeah. based on whatever the goal is and he really shoots for it, but yeah, yeah. sometimes the goal he, he's shooting for is not good. He's maybe not good at picking a script. Yeah. Maybe that's not his strength. You know? I'm still glad that they made this movie because, like, even I, I've 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 read the book just for, to, to kind of, so I'd have actually something to talk about on this uh, podcast that it's based on. And, um, like, it is an important story to tell. It's not something we often talk about, you know, uh, the way women were treated in the Middle Ages. It doesn't come up in film a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, we just presume it was terrible, which it largely was. But there's not a lot of detail given about it. So yeah. I think it's, the, even the fact that we can examine this period, the, the feudal time, and like attitudes towards rape all that kind of thing i think that is uh important and so in a way like even if the the film has done very very badly i think it this will film probably will stand stand up to scrutiny in years to come and it might become a a bit of a classic who knows and on that note i suppose we should get into the actual history of it given that we're doing a history show and that so the usual question i would ask history show i know (laughs) The usual question I would ask is, like, what's the world like at this point? Where are we at? What's going on? Just briefly, do you want to guide us? Uh, yeah, well, I suppose we're, it's familiar territory, lads. Uh, we're diving back into the Hundred Years' War. Um, so it's specifically the duel, which is discussed in The Last Duel, is, takes place in 1386. Uh, this is feudal France, you know, uh, France is often called the forge of feudalism so Mm. this is the world of knights and barons and squires and everything you can expect but i suppose to put it into 
the real history timeline, which is extremely important. Uh, very world. important. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like, the only reason I'm here, frankly. So essentially, this is, uh, if we were to compare this to A Knight's Tale, this is uh, <laughs> 30 years after <laughs> Edward the Black Prince captured the French king at the Battle of Poitiers, which we discussed in a Knight's Tale episode. We did. We did. Um, and it is essentially 30 years before Hal, or Henry V, arrives over to invade um, Normandy and France in 1415. So we're right in the, I suppose, the middle to late... Uh, period of the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. Sounds like we're going to eventually cover every year of the Hundred Year War with different films. This, is a, this <laughs> is a stealth Hundred Years' War podcast. That's what this is. I, but I guess that makes sense. As you were saying, this is like all the night shit that you're aware of. You know, people would usually go like, yeah, this is the period. This is like the golden age of a lot of that stuff. So there's 100%. a fair few more films. There's a few, here. as as you know with myself, there's a few, cr- there's a lot of crusading going on at this time too. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, it's not surprising that I was attracted to, to this particular <laughs> Famously subject. Famously loved you know? the crusades, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so at this time, because of this context, it's actually the same king. So Charles the the sixth of France, um, who we see in the, the Arab, who we see in the movie The King too. This right. is the man who, you know, he suffered from mental health issues and he would have, uh, you know, he believed he was made of glass and that he might break. And so we're seeing like him as a young man now. He's an old man in The King, right? Essentially, yes. yeah. So he's only a teenager at this time, but he's ruling France. But as we've mentioned in other episodes, when we say France, this is actually about two thirds of what we'd call modern yeah. France. Like, uh, large swaths of say everything from uh, Boulogne to Brittany um, to Provence all these places that you associate with France nowadays none of this is a part of the actual crown of France at this time you know yeah and the war is in the film but it's it's sort of incidental in a way it's like this thing that happens this thing that you go off and fight in the war but like the war doesn't necessarily come to your doorstep it's like it's a hundred year war we go off and have these fights and then some of us come back some of us don't some of us get promoted to being knights or what have you some of us don't that's sort of the the business of these men it's that we big see hierarchy um yes and th- like the feudal system is, is not in if not hierarchical um and i suppose we're going to go into that a bit uh, with mark to uh, in terms of you know Everybody had an overlord, and the easiest way to put this, the quote that I, I got from the book that kind of stuck with me was, no land without, or, or no lord without land, no land without a lord. And if you think of it that way, basically, every single scrap of land, it's somebody's, um, you know, and everybody has a relationship to another person where they have to swear fealty and all this. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it's in the middle, I suppose, this is bang in the middle of feudal France, um, 1386 like a miserable enough time like france at this time as we discussed in another episode it's like a patchwork quilt of different kingdoms mm. all uh, fighting each other with rival claims um and you know it's 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 also a time of plague so you know only 50 years earlier you would have had about a third of the population of europe would have been wiped out yeah. so it's a it's a grim time and in the film a bit like we've seen in other ones the blue screen is there. Yeah, oh God! It's the great, the great trick about Europe. We're showing Europe uh, in the time before the Industrial Revolution, so therefore there must be the big looming specter of the blue screen of death. Like you know, Europe always just looks so grim in every depiction, it's and everyone just looks like really cold. Everyone looks like they need to put on cold. an extra yeah. jumper and yeah. sit beside the fire. You yeah. know, uh, every scene of this film, even at the 
triumphant close with the snow which i think is really effective that yeah. particular scene uh but yeah so that's that's kind of to give you a general overview i suppose where we are jacob you know yeah incidentally i happened to rewatch the fast and the furious the first film in that franchise and that film is so orange that it's <laughs> and it's set in la it is so i can confirm la is the polar opposite of medieval europe because yeah. medieval europe would be always blue to show you that it's fucking depressing and yeah. life is rough whereas la hey life can be rough and depressing but we got fast cars so everything's orange right right <laughs> and it's an interesting thing though just i think generally um with history because we always think of like from the western perspective of, of like europe europe uh being like sort of this great cultural hotspot and and the u.s being this great cultural hotspots and, and, and not to say that Europe's not but for a long long number of centuries Europe is just absolutely horrific place to live like comparatively speaking so if you were look in in uh, at a comparative period in different parts of the world like maybe looking at Asia and stuff there's certainly be parts of Asia you'd rather live in than France at this point at this point in time you know um so ju- I just think there while well, the, the blue screen of death is a little bit overdone they are just trying to drive home the point that it it's grim in Europe yeah. in the Middle Ages It's this is not a place you want to be you know and for all the fanciful tales of you know Chaucer's stories about knights and all, it's fucking horrible and if you lived there you'd die young you know yeah which is pretty well represented in the film even besides sure. the blue uh, tint um, just the dirt of everyone everyone's just filthy it's yeah. like you know the one criticism I have about this film because I did like really really enjoy the whole sub, the, the topic and that but I suppose it doesn't go into any like normal person's life at all. This oh, is no. only about the elite. You know, there isn't even a, you know, a, a, a kind of an ancillary character that they use for comic <laughs> relief that represents kind of the, uh, the, the normal everyday Joe. Uh, there's, None of that. It's more Very more true, or yeah. less. Uh, it's centered around three main characters. Uh, so we have Jean de Carouge, who is a, a squire. Uh, we have J- Jacques Legree, who is another squire, and then Marguerite de Carouge, who is the wife of Jean de Carouge. So they're the kind of the three main characters the film concentrates on, and the whole story centers around their relationships. Um, and it's really fucked up uh so we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get into that in a little bit you know yeah so they're squires right at the start uh they seem quite old to be squires because uh you know a knight's tale has told me that basically you have a young pipsqueak uh, who's a squire and then eventually they become a knight uh or if they go to uh the crusades everyone just becomes a knight magically because uh, <laughs> that's what happens in fairy tales that's Orlando Bloom just <laughs> yeah. wafts out looking fucking great like, exactly you know. but i suppose that uh might not be exactly the case so where if we start more or less at the beginning what's the relationship between uh these two men because it's you know it's it's depicted like a bromance basically they're good friends yeah and then everything goes to shit about 10 minutes into the film i'd say yeah i, I suppose it's a lot like a lot of friendships or, or, or a, the, a lot of the naughty yeah people like the ha, like most the hard enemies that exist out there a lot of it they always they started off as friends you know yeah. and i suppose how jean de carouge and jacques legree knew each other was they were they both had the same lord so essentially this is normandy norman norman uh northern france uh they both would have been squires so they would have had a significant lands they would have come from noble families jean de jean de carouge he would have been of um viking stock actually originally so you know his whole name we believe carouge comes from carl the 
the Rouge, so Carol the Red, right? Who was this Viking who obviously ginger? He's a ginger. There you go. Um, so you know, his his family would have been kind of an ancient noble family of France, uh, very loyal to the crown of France. Right. You know. Um, uh, uh, on the other hand, as with Jacques Legree, his family would have been lesser nobility, but in terms of the eyes of the feudal system, they both served the same lord who we see in the film, which is Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck you know? yeah. um, <laughs> that so, is crazy hair. Yeah, and he would have been basically the, the Count of Alençon, which was this uh, uh, large area of Normandy. He Underneath him, then, he would have had his squires, and then over all these people, of course, he would have had Charles VI, the, the King of France. So basically, one overlord over another. So the two of them would have served uh, served their lord, uh, they, you know, in a military capacity. They would have held forts on his behalf. Um, in all intents and purposes, they would have been more or less equal, you know. Um, but like everything... Um, there's always going to be favoritism. There's always going to be one. Some people person are more equal than others, and some somebody's the favorite of their overlord, so he gets pride of place and so on. A hundred percent, and and this can like weigh on a relationship. So although these two men, like they would have been born in, we don't know, but they would have been born in about thir- the 1330s. So they would have been, you know, in their depends early 50s to 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 early 60s. Who really knows at that time? You know registers of births weren't really yeah. that important uh but uh they they in terms of what they actually would would have started off with this great friendship like for example Jacques Legree was even uh, the godfather to Jean de Cruges first son uh, oh, right. who okay. died so like they, they right. and and at that time like people you might think a uh, godfather like it does still have a, a very important role these days you know but um, it really made meant something back then well it, you and you were essentially invited into the family if if i made jacob the godfather of my son he would he would in all intents and purposes be invited into my family mm. yeah. so much so that when the charges are brought against uh, jack legree with this famous rape uh, one of the charges is incest Wow, that is okay. brought against him because wow. he's considered the same family as Marguerite, you know. Right. Um. Okay. So yeah, it's 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 a very complex complex kind of relationship they all had, but yeah, they it, it they started off as great friends, but quickly disintegrated. Yeah. So what about the third character, who's uh, the main character in many ways, uh, Marguerite? Uh, where does she come from? Um. At, at the start of this, I mean, we yeah. do see it in the film to a certain extent, but. Is that more or less uh, how things Yeah, like, Marguerite would have been a lot younger uh, than either of them. Meant. So when, like, she married, like, there would have been th- at least 30 to 40 years difference in age. When she married, cool. she would have been 18. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Whereas he would have been in his, you know, at least his f- mid-50s. Who can tell? But either way, she would have been, she was actually the sole heir of an extremely rich noble family. Uh, um, her father was Robert de Thibauville. And I suppose... Mar- Marguerite started off with a kind of a she didn't get the best cards in life obviously she was extremely rich but her father was considered a great traitor so twice in his life he had uh, betrayed the kings of France well, and sided yeah. with the English against them yeah so because of that she was known as the daughter of a traitor so Whilst because of her wealth and all that, you would have think this is an extremely eligible heiress. Everyone would have been lining up to marry her. Mm. But in fact, that wasn't the case because she was 
apparent seemed to be tainted by her right, father's okay. betrayal. So she, car- she carries the sins of her father with her name, sort of thing. Precisely, but that didn't bother Jean de Jean de Cruz. Jean de Cruz <laughs> wanted money. His first wife and child died. We don't know, but this was as we've talked about. This is the Middle Ages, so plague. take your pick. Yeah, plague, you know what I mean? dysentery, yeah. whatever. Yeah, typhoid. Typhoid. You know, yeah. who knows? But unfortunately, they they both passed away. So he was suddenly left with no heir to all his lands mm. and. As we see with uh, this particular, uh, with this time period, marriage is more about alliances. It's not yeah, about absolutely. love. You know, it's uh, if that happens, great. If, if if love happens after and flourishes after, great. But in the vast majority of cases, it was about advancing your position, getting more land. Game of Thrones fans understand that one, don't they? The mar- marriage for power, they get that one. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is sort of the. The, the world that Marguerite is born into. Uh, she's the daughter of a traitor. She does end up in 1380 marrying Jean de Carouge. Um, and I suppose she would have, and we see this in the film, her main role was looking after the estate. And there is, they do show this in the film, which is interesting. Like they do show that she like notices that there's going to be a famine. So, you know, she, yeah. re, you know, she repurposes the horses, she plows fields, she arranges yeah, all this kind of the thing. Yeah, because the is off fighting wars and she's left there you know at the start of the film she would not have much uh, agency but is given a bit of like oh i'm actually running the household mm. and it's also clear that just having a little bit of common sense helps her like and and not being like uh too uptight about taking advice from people who actually know what they're talking about as yeah. opposed to being the lord and saying this is how it is um so actually directing the household and making preparations as you were saying because directing the household like the way it's portrayed in the movies like she's running the village like it's not you know what I mean. She's really, really in charge of everything, like you were saying. So yeah, yeah. Which she's definitely she's definitely shown as having um, more agency and and definitely some character and some backbone and a bit of cop on. Like, yeah, and yeah. I suppose the thing that it's it's you know it's like in the film, you know, a lot is talked about her beauty, and this is true. Now we don't have any obviously photos of her. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, there was portraits. We'll apparently, take their, we'll take their word for. It. <laughs> but even like in 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 his testimony, her husband John de Cruz would have said like, "My wife is really really beautiful." You know what I mean? And it was sort of known that she was um, like she was described as young, beautiful, sensible, and modest, which in medieval times was like ten out of ten. That's ten yeah. out of ten. You know, she's she's beautiful, but she doesn't she doesn't lack go on about it as if she knows it. You know, <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. not brazen with it. You know this type of thing. Uh, so yeah, she that was sort of Marguerite, and then. She she married into this family and probably expected to have you know the fulfilled a traditional role uh, which would have you know just been more or less to have as many children as possible yeah. run the household and ensure the family name carries on into the future you know and uh, we said a little bit like she did get into doing some directing of the household etc and that would have been normal I suppose but what about her other rights in this society uh, and sort of, I suppose, getting up to the actual assaults that is depicted in the film. Like, what are her... What 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 is a woman's right in in this world? Because I assume it's not great. Yeah. Like <laughs> Spoiler it's, alert, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, for example, like, she... Like, Marguerite would have had no right to actually make a complaint against anyone herself, you know? Yeah. Um, like it's actually quoted in the film you know um like rape was considered like a, a property crime against the male uh 
the, the male guardian of the woman. Be, like, that, be that the husband or the father, or if the if if the, she was unmarried and the father said the brother. Exactly. So it was the whoever the guardian was, the male guardian. He he could go and make the complaint on her behalf, but she herself couldn't couldn't do it. And the only reason that even Marguerite could consider this was because she would have been a noblewoman. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose in terms of her own rights. She didn't really have any. That's the easiest way of putting this. Yeah. Um, if her husband had have refused, you know, to, to go along with whatever she wanted or whatever, that's the end it, of that. that would have been the end of it, you know. Uh, but I suppose, like, in terms of whether, like, I suppose we, I mean, we should really get back to how the, how the actual rape took place and yeah. what actually happened to make their, like, relationship fall apart, I suppose, yeah. you know. Uh, so when I'm looking into that, I think the, the first thing you kind of have to look at is why did they stop being friends? And uh, essentially why Jean de Carouge and uh, Jacques Legree stopped being friends was a host of different things. But a lot of it is just petty jealousy. Mm. So as we see in the film... Um, the, fi- the film really portrays it to be a, like a, a large element of it is that Legree starts to become the Count's favourite. Like he starts sort of, he's surpassing the Carouge just in terms of where he's being seated at the feast table, how how much deference is being shown to him, despite that the fact that Carouge is regarded as the much more successful soldier, the much more, uh, the, the soldier who sacrificed much more for the cause of France, for the king and all that kind of stuff. Is that kind of, that kind of thing is true or? It's very much of, true. Yeah. Like for example, uh, Jean, Jean de Carouge's father would have held command of several fortresses which he would have expected to have also held command to but uh, Count Pierre you know decided to give these these privileges to other people right. so essentially it's a, slap whole, the, it's a slap in the face then yeah and like uh, you know Jean de Carouge would have considered himself like his his he would have said i am of the higher nobility i should yes, be getting all okay. of these things but that wasn't the case at all it was clear that in the eyes of count pierre and the court of france that the rising star was jack legree played by adam driver and that john de Cruz was more or less being shunted out and a lot of things happened over several years. They had arguments, believe it or not, over inheritance and property. A lot of kind of boring shit. We don't really need to go into. Get the book, you know, if you're if you want to hear it. <laughs> uh, and the fact that Jean de Cruz was extremely stubborn, like he's sh- it's shown in the book in the yeah, movie a yeah, bit. Yeah, no, it is for sure. But he was he was extremely stubborn. Like and he, he's, he kept he's, suing people. Yeah, you know? and he's 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 very willing to take offense where maybe it's not given it's not intended like he's just trying to take offense all the time he's that sort of belligerent i want to have an argument about this kind of character or that's how he's portrayed it yeah and in a way like he keeps going away to war um and i suppose that is true to his character in the book Mm. as well anyway because you know he was the great warrior uh adam driver's character jack legree was known more as a stay at home in the court kind of thing. Don't get me wrong, he he was he knew how to handle his weapons and all that. But it was actually Jean de Carouge who went to Scotland and yeah. you know opened up with with about a thousand knights, French knights, and he opened up a second front against the English in the in the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. You know, he would have been involved in tons of battles where he would have had like a group of squires, ten ten fellas just rampaging around Normandy trying to get rid of the English. So mm. he was always willing to put his neck on the line. So when you're thinking he should be the one 
he's that a, he's getting this favoritism. In he's his a, eyes, anyway. he's the kind of guy that if like a swing of fortune in his way, had he won some famous victory, all of this would have been given to him because he'd be he'd be a much more well known historical figure, for example. But it just it just didn't happen for him. So. It, it it just didn't happen, and this went on for years. And you know, they, it got to the stage where they like he wouldn't even visit the court anymore. He wouldn't visit Count Pierre. He was just pissed off uh, and bitter and looking for ways of making more money and all this type of thing. But eventually, there was a rapprochement. They decided to come together, and we see this in the film where Marguerite and John and Jack they all meet up at a kind of a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, they clasp hands and they decide to kind of let bygones be bygones. Even so much that, um, and it's a bit of a weird scene, you know, um, John is like, wife, kiss, kiss this man to show as a symbol of our rapprochement. The the house, the carouge, yeah, shows shows that we're friendly or whatever, Mm. yeah. But this did actually happen. This is in the historical sources. And from here, this was where the first time we think that Marguerite and um, Legree actually met, yeah. you know? Okay. And shortly after this, this is when the big event that kind of shapes the, the whole film and the book occurs, which is the, uh, the rape, you know? Um, so in terms of that, like, like, we don't really know the motivations behind it, but is it revenge? Is it lust? But whatever happened, it, 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 in a, a certain day in January, uh, essentially marguerite was raped uh she claims that it was jack legree and his squire who turned up at the house professing love uh, that he had fallen head over heels for when she refused his advances basically he did what he he did what he wanted to do with her he brought her upstairs he threatened her life um he also remember i was saying earlier how she was sort of known as the daughter of a traitor. Mm. So he was, we think, or what the sources think is that he was relying on the fact that she would not want to bring any more shame on her family right. name. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because of her father's activities that she would never say anything about this, you know? Uh, but yeah, if this horrific rape happens. Like, I don't know what you guys think. In the film, it is pretty hard to watch. It's, like, it's ru- it, yeah, it is really, really rough. Yeah, it's very difficult to watch, and it's in it twice, uh, basically, yeah, because of the way the film is constructed. And it's obvious, like, it's it's so central to the whole plot, and it's the theme of the film, but it's also the reason that I wouldn't want to rewatch it, you know? Yeah, and even, like, I, when you just see the, the brutality of it, and then he even throws a sack of coins on the bed. Oof. You know, yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. a this is a noble woman. So yeah, this is yeah, even yeah. like even like you know this would be dis- disrespectful to any woman. Mm. But in that context, a noble woman to be thrown coins on the bed. That's and you like, can you can imagine like in in medieval France in, in the feudal system uh, how often these kinds of assaults would yeah. go on and would have no there'd be no justice. Yeah, I, I like I think it, it speaks like it speaks really well to the bravery of the woman. For, because yeah, she has two reasons to not bring this up. One, if the, the, the family is already, you know, under under suspicion for traitorous behavior, and and two, like it, she's a woman, like, and and they don't get heard at all, and she still brings it forward, like, you know, yeah, and I, 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 think, a, I think it speaks, speaks brilliantly to her character, like. And you see this. There is actually a scene in the movie, you know, where um, 
she after the rape has occurred she speaks to she's uh marguerite uh jo- jodie comer's character is speaking to her mother-in-law about it and her mother-in-law nicole de Carouge, mm. is kind of like yes i've been raped yeah this happens yeah like, yeah uh stop going it's on horrific. about it almost like which yeah. is like for our modern ears this is obviously very difficult to listen to but like the vast majority of people would not have got any justice mm. um at that time but the fact that the, cu- the culture for women at the time is just you just put up with it like it's it's horrendous like yeah and so. like even saying at the time is irrelevant like this is why it's such a relevant film and, and why it seems like it should uh resonate more with us that mm. these things are still true to a large extent yeah which exactly is putting it you know in a hi- historical film can be great at showing us what's going on in our own society through a parallel or whatever, but there's not even a need for a parallel because the whole relying on her not to say anything would be 100%. Like, he would be right to think that because most people wouldn't say anything. Absolutely. And that is still the case today. Yeah. And that's obviously horrific. But yeah. it's why the whole structure of telling the story from different perspectives and everything, it makes it, it really, really compelling. Yeah. And I, I did think, I, I, and I think I said it actually on the, on the trailer reaction, that I like, I was hoping that it would it would sort of tell the film the way it did. So I, I was pleased that it showed yeah. her as she like she is uh, because I, I thought the the, the the fear for a film about this is that it would just focus completely on the two men having a duel, but mm. the movie doesn't. It actually you know the way it's split the narrative being split in three relies a lot on uh, on her perspective, which was which was pleasant to see to you know that she would have that problem at the role. Yeah. yeah and like just in terms of at that time as well like it was common if a woman was raped that she would have to eventually marry her like her attacker yeah you know so this kind of thing was really really gone which is just horrific to even think about it told you it's um, europe in the middle ages uh, marital rape awful. as well was was that was just legal you yeah. know it was considered yeah. uh, like a debt a wedding debt that was owed by the woman to the man like it's which again tough these stuff are to, medieval concepts but it's bizarre that like people still they, think they lasted so they long still, they still yeah, have currency in modern society for yeah, sure yeah. for sure um and i suppose the the last one i found which was very unusual about this time was that there was a belief at the time and it's going into it's mentioned in the film is that basically that um you know, a woman could not get pregnant by rape. Oh, they believe that's what they yeah. believed. Yeah, yeah. It just it it, it it's yeah. everywhere. The people. It's actually there's a quote in the film where like she's being cross examined by one of these liars, and oh, she's that's like, right, yeah. "Everyone knows this is science. A woman cannot get pregnant by rape." You know, um, and they're using it as an argument that it was um, consensual. Yeah, this yeah. kind of thing, which is really really rough to watch. Anyway, but yeah, I suppose that kind of gives you. An overview of like the three central characters and why suddenly they're all pitted against each other yeah for sure and so even though yeah as you were saying we we were kind of hoping it wouldn't be all about like oh these two men having a fight and everything um it's still a lot lighter uh and a lot uh, easier to talk about (laughs) so let's move on to sort of trial by combat as a concept because we've all seen game of thrones we've seen this in a hundred fancy settings and real settings but like Mark, what is the origin of this process, this whole procedure? So it's 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 very uh, it's very hard to pin this down because um, it is very very widespread in Europe in various European cultures. It's the the what became tribal combat in medieval France ultimately has its origins in in tribal Germanic Europe. So the the various Germanic tribes. Uh, you you will be familiar with the names of the Vandals and the Goths and the Saxons and and uh, tribes that became the Swedes. In fact, um, they uh, 
they they had this practice, but it was it was actually more widespread than that. Even in ancient Ireland, in pre-Christian Ireland, when when uh, there was a series of the judicial system was known as the Brehan Laws. Uh, the Brehan Laws allowed for trial by combat as well. Now there is no facility for trial by combat in Imperial Roman law. Now I know you're like, well, what's that got to do with? That has everything to do with it because the the, the judicial systems that are that build up in medieval Europe are based on church law, and church law ultimately is based on Roman law. Um, so there isn't actually a facility for this to exist for much of the medieval period, but they are ancient tribal uh, um, uh, ways of settling scores. It wasn't always to the death. It varied massively. There was different rules in different regions, different tribes, different clans within tribes. Sometimes they were. Uh, it wasn't. Um, there were no weapons were used. Sometimes it would, it would be essentially a boxing match, and it developed over time. Uh, eventually one of the Holy Roman Emperors which the shorthand way to describe that is the King of Germany basically he, uh, a guy called Otto the Great he codified it in the 10th centuries in the late late 900s so that's several centuries before this which sort of gave it more of a legal standing but it was still not really regarded as something proper or something that should be done from the point of view of uh, various popes the reason for that though is because they felt they didn't have as much control over the judiciary in various uh, duchies and fiefdoms and kingdoms, um, which I think we, we spoke a little bit about in our episode on, on uh, Kingdom of Heaven when we talked about the Pope's power. And a lot of it is to do with that. Is Well, is this extra legal? Is, it, is this something that the Pope should allow? So some Popes were pro this, other Popes were against this. And it, it evolved um, fairly dramatically in different along different avenues over time. Um, a, 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 probably a good way to... to Think about this: is the modern sports of fencing. That's where I, that's where that comes from. That right. that actually has its origins in trial by combat, and it's it's essentially like one set of rules which became popular as a sport. Jousting also ultimately has some owes uh, some level of of, uh, of origin to this as well. Um, and most most one on one combat sports have their origin in the trial by combat. It wasn't as commonly legally sanctioned as as you might think i know it's it's a great dramatic sort of device so you are going to see it in movies you are going to see it in in uh shows like game of thrones and so on but i mean it's called the last duel because this is the last fully sanctioned trial by combat in france and it happens in the 1300s so i mean it's not maybe quite as common as you might think it had been a lot more common like centuries before everyone was at it but yeah. at this time it had been for example at the time of the movie or the book 1386 like there hadn't been a sanctioned duel in 30 years yeah so it had become really rare and it had become a, 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 it was a, the only people still doing it officially anyway it was nobility yes. you know yeah. and i suppose it it was considered if there was no way of determining the guilt of either party it was literally any any knight or squire could appeal to the king over his own overlord which is essentially what john de Carouge does mm. uh to 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 basically put his body on the line as proof of uh, his of, of his accusation or his innocence or whatever to defend himself um and that it would be essentially left up to uh, god yeah. to decide that was what was believed uh, and what i found really funny with this was you know there's a, a nick cave song you know uh, i don't believe in a interventionist god 
you know this I yeah, know yeah, you know, yeah it's a good tune uh but basically these guys did you <laughs> yeah. know they yeah, believed yeah. that this god is very living and real to these people yeah and yeah, he yeah. would he it was him who not this would be providence so they would line up the you know it, this would be entirely ju- god's judgment and it wouldn't be questioned afterwards you know at the same time the kings wouldn't want to use this too often because they liked having the power of deciding things themselves. Mm. And it's very much, it's very much tied into like, even in later centuries where you see, where you see, I challenge you to a duel, sir, this like sort of slapping a glove to the face, all of that kind of stuff. All of that speaks to what you're just talking about because it's, it's, later centuries are romanticizing the past and this is built into the concept of nobility and and your 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 sort of your honor system the european honor system is sort of built around this and it's any way to tie yourself to the elite yeah status you know so when you have fellas you know take walk 10 paces turn and shoot at each other or whatever ultimately that all derives from these trial by combats which were which had varying degrees of legality in varying regions in varying centuries so yeah that's what i was thinking as well that you know we have the likes of hamilton and aaron burr mm. uh firing at each other uh you know a long time later 500 years later yeah. um and yeah it's it's different in that like if you haven't seen the film that's why this is so interesting that it's not just about honor and determining who's right uh, you know practically and who gets to live it's about determining legally who is correct in the matter yeah, yeah with a legal procedure like so yeah. it's not just about will these two hate each other let's let them fight it out as is emphasized marguerite's uh innocence in perjury would also be determined by the outcome of the duel because if her husband loses she's you know her life is forfeit yeah, yeah. she's yeah. burnt so, to death yeah. but uh, it, it is interesting that even you know uh in later duels hundreds of years later it's the same type of concept of like it's still your honor on the line and all of those things that's the same thing that you're describing uh michael so. yeah and at this time like it had become really really limited like there was there was basically it wasn't like i could challenge mark here to a duel and then the official duel would take place a week later or something. <laughs> this was a long drawn out process yeah. and reading the book like this was probably some of it. I was like, Jesus, will they ever get onto the fucking fight? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? But at the same time, it was very interesting the legal procedure behind it. You know, like first of all, it had to be a capital offense. You couldn't, you yeah. couldn't, uh, you know, it, yeah. it couldn't be for because we fell out over the fact that I think that that field over there is mine. You know, it had to be something that you took a loaf of bread that was my loaf of bread at the last feast. So 100% we're, we're and, and, like, yeah. I, and there had to be evidence that the crime existed you know and and then no other legal basically uh, as, uh, settlement could be possible right so basically if it was clear who was guilty you couldn't do this right like if there was clear evidence to say oh you did this thing uh, it, it couldn't be settled in this matter right? exactly and i suppose the biggest thing about this is it's it's not just about putting your life on the line yeah, the, the you know the level of belief at this time in a god and as we said an interventionist god was so much that these men uh, and and marguerite as well all had to swear oaths that what they oh, were yeah. saying was true you know and these oaths were in the eyes of god and that they would be forfeiting their souls not just their lives mm. if they it would also be their in, eternal soul which was very very important to people at this time um especially if you most people lived till about 30 um <laughs> but you know and these were already 60 years old yeah. more or less so they were ahead of the game and i they don't look 60 in the film you know adam driver's about 38 or something um so it was 
quite amusing to imagine that in real life it was probably a fair bit slower and although yeah. the fighting isn't doesn't feel unrealistic the way it would in in many other films uh to me at least but still they'd probably just be walking quite slowly at each other in real life well the the the, the thing is like it's it's very very difficult to wear that armor and effectively swing swords that are that heavy like i know you see it in all these you see it in a lot of i'm not going to complain about helmets but you see in a lot of these uh historical dramas where people are carrying two-handed swords with one hand you can't do it you you, you can't you cannot trust me you cannot lift a two-handed sword with one hand when you're wearing 50 pounds of armor mm. you know that like plate armor is heavy it's designed to deflect high velocity arrows when you're mm. charging on a horse moving at you know 40 miles like an a hour. human projectile yeah, yeah. like yeah. The, like you can't just sort of hop around a place and like you know the, the the viper in in the game of thrones one you know like he's not wearing armor in that battle so he can move because yeah. if you're wearing armor you can't move like that you mm. know so those those uh those battles are often just pretty uh they, they look fairly unspectacular it would just be like two lumps of men smashing into each other and like mm. a lot of the time it's you know, like in boxing or MMA, if you gas, you're gone. Like if you gas too soon, if you're if you're out of breath, you're done. You know, and that that's often what happens. So it's often the guy whose cardio is better will win the fight. Like, yeah, you know who's a mean? bit fitter. Unless yeah, yeah. unless you were unless you land a heavy blow early, mm. it's sort of it's sort of over. You know, so those those battles will be un unspectacular in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, what I what I found really fascinating about this book and the movie is that it's a study in the, in feudalism, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's what I found interesting about it. So, like, obviously this rape took place. Um, Marguerite went to her husband, explained what happened. This would have obviously been a massive affront to both, both, uh, both of their family honour. He went to P- Count Pierre. Um, he had a hearing with Count Pierre, but Count well, Pierre man. was like... As he says in the book, Pierre is the courts, yeah. and, and he says it in the movie too, which basically means he was never going to get a fair hearing. Uh, Count Pierre, so Ben Affleck's character, just dismisses it, and and basically, d- uh, d- 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 uh, he says, you know, let's never hear Anton about this again. But in the feudal system, a knight, um, and Jean de Cruz was a knight at this time. Um, he he could go to the king. So he went to the king and the king said, we'll hear you out. But this is where it gets into the real legal thing. This fucking months <laughs> of turning up in parliament uh, in Paris at the Palais de Justice. You can still visit it today. You know, um, you'd have to go through a formal, like a, f- a formal hearing. Marguerite, it must have been horrific because she would have had to tell her story, I don't know how many times and relive it. Under, and, under questioning from men who don't want to believe her. Yes. Horrible question. Who want her yeah. to be, who, who want her to slip up. How dare this woman, or, you know, how dare this, this woman accuse a man of, of this, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, again, familiar in today's society. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, uh, essentially like, how dare you use Harvey Weinstein, he's never done anything wrong, look at that guy. Uh, but even the formalities, and this goes back, you know, to throw down the gauntlet. Yeah. So that's where this comes from, you know. Uh, for example, they would have been in this ceremony. There would have been the Parliament of France there, which wasn't what we would consider a parliament now. It's nowadays. all the most prominent nobles. Exactly, yeah. you know. And they would have all been around. And uh, what would have essentially happened would have been Jean de Cruz would have, you know, made his accusation uh, as the appellant, as he was called. Mm-hmm. And then he would have thrown down his gauntlet on the ground. Uh, then what Jacques Legree would have turned up and picked it up 
to signal acceptance of the duel, you know? Um, and then this would have went on. That, that wasn't the end of it, though. Then there would have been a public inquiry for months. This is like fucking, you know, the Iraq War inquiry or something. You know, it would have been months and months of kind of... Mean, uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, the victim in all of this, Marguerite, her story is now, is now known by all the noble houses in France. And she's pregnant. And she fell pregnant just after the time that the rape took place. But as we mentioned earlier, there was a belief at the time that a woman could not get pregnant from rape. There's a loss, yeah, about like how, oh, like basically shaming her for not feeling pleasure when she's having sex with her husband. And that that is basically medically believed to be a potential cause for why she's not having any children. Mm. And so they use that and say, well, you're you're getting a kid now. So it was probably if it, it didn't happen. And if it did happen, it was consensual because of that. that's basically what they what they what the argument against her is. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and this is it's a horrible way of going on. Now, they did actually her and John de Cruz went on to have like several children afterwards, you know, so there yeah. wasn't a problem, you know, like. The, if you were to look at the actual dates, it's highly possible that Jacques Legree is the uh, father. Is the father as well? You know, you could look at it it either way. It doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, who who it was the crime itself, I suppose, which is the horrible thing. But all this to say that over these months, this became like a, a celebrated cause throughout France. You know, this. Be, this duel was anticipated months in advance, so much so that the king, King Charles VI, it was, but this duel was supposed to take place in November of that year, but he was away and he was like, I can't miss this shit. <laughs> so he delayed it for two months. Good God. It, prolonging Marguerite's agony, you could say her life too, because everybody's life was in, in yeah. jeopardy well, here. Just, Im- just imagine how she feels in that, in that period of time, like awful, like that's just... You know, it's just crazy. Anyway, go on. because they and this was it. So and it was for service. But this whole crowd, everybody turned up here in the middle of Paris in a, in a place called Saint Martin de Champs, um, which was like a designed arena for this. There were specific rules, meaning you couldn't escape. You know, so and you see this in Wait, the film. Sorry, so like, for, so the the two of them could not escape. Yeah, like, just so is that just the high walls around the arena? The or? enclosing. There was, the, and I think one thing they showed in the film, like. It was nearly a pain of death if you made a sound. So th- this, there was a massive crowd there. Mm. This was like the MMA event at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people were, this was just, it took place on the 29th of December, just after Christmas. Incidentally, the king's, uh, the king's son, in- infant son, died the day before. So it was oh. a real miserable time. The Dauphin of France had just died. Uh, but still, the streets were packed. Everybody came to watch this. But yeah, you couldn't say a word under pain of death or loose, loss of property. Uh, you couldn't say a word. So that's why when you're watching the it actual film, it's completely silent. People yeah. were afraid to even breathe nearly in case, you know, the the law came down on them, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, just... Was so- this just to stop, the like, to not put them off or, like, jeer at them, just make sure it happens? No, like- see, the whole thing was with this was that everybody had to be equal. So, like, mm. the, their positions had to be equal. Their armor had to be weigh the same amount. They couldn't... They all had to have equal... Like, they each had a lance, a dagger, an axe, and two swords. Everyone had to have the same thing. They had to swear, and I found this very, very charming in a way. They had to do many... Obviously, they had to do oaths to say that they were telling the truth and all this type on pain of death all this thing but as well as that they had to like swear an oath um whilst holding each other's hands so jack legree or, or and jean de courage had to hold each other's hand and swear um that they didn't put any 
use any occult uh, magic charms Witchcraft or spells yeah. and all this on their weapons because this was a serious concern at the time the belief was there and this basically is basically like illegal doping like it's the same yeah. thing a hundred percent yeah so like this is what i found was the, the ceremony around it and the fact that there was a lovely mass before it as well mm. so the, the priest came out and they sanctified the arena yeah, yeah you know yeah. and you don't really see a lot of this in the actual film but i think most of this jewel it wasn't actually taken up by the actual fighting. It was all the ceremony and all the bureaucracy mm, before yeah. it. And a bit like, I suppose, an MMA match, a lot of trash talk going on. Yeah. Mm. You know, a lot of... Uh, that's a, that's a, a lot of the actual event is trash talk. And it was the same here, you know. There was rival camps. P- different people took different sides, you know. Uh, friends of each, um, of each um, I suppose, uh, participant in the duel would have challenged each other to duels as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it became a big deal. It was know? a big event. It's like yeah. the Super Bowl. Lots of razzmatazz around it, but the ball's actually only in play for 12 minutes. And yeah. The rest uh, of it is just <laughs> someone singing a song or whatever. As for the actual fight, like, I, much like, uh, usually watching historical films, try to, like, I, I made sure not to look up who won, and I do think yeah. it makes a difference if you're watching the film, knowing or not knowing. Um, so yeah, we kind of hinted sure at it, but we're going to get into detail, obviously, of what happens next. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Carouge wins. Any details from the book? Or no, I was just going back to what Mark was saying, like, the, just the, the fact that the armor, like, this is 60 pounds worth of armor. Oh, it's heavy. Like, play armor is no joke. Like, and the war horse, which I think is probably one of the mm. best scenes in the film, the two war horses yeah. with the, the knights fully armed, with yeah. the lances lined up against each other. You do hold your breath in that the, scene. The, like. the impact of the lances, the way that mm. was, that was really well done. I, 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 mm. I thought the, the, the battle scene, the, the fight, the jewel, rather, I should call it, I suppose. Um, the jewel is, is is really well shot. I, mm. I really like the way it looked because it just looked... Uh, it, there's no finesse. It's real dirty. You hear the impact. You feel the impact. The sound of the armour crumbling under the weight of the lance impacting it and the, the, just like... You can feel the hits. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's really, really well done, I think. And to think of the amount of... Because they were using these war horses which were designed for speed, Yeah, you know... And to be able to carry yeah. so much weight, uh, like it's a bit the equivalent of saying like a car can go from not to a hundred in you know twelve seconds. It was that type of thing, and the, the all the momentum of the armor, the person's weight, the horse's weight, everything just being concentrated into the tip of that lance. Yeah, and then that just hitting you like just it's like being hit by a truck. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I do think they they showed it really really well. It was one of my favorite parts of the film was the actual battle. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but yeah, um, like they did go at each other for for hours. Um, oh. officially, like they had wine and bread there, you know, in case they wanted to have a snack in the middle of it. They had food for their horses, like because nobody knew how long this was going to go on. Yeah. And if it got to nighttime, like. The lads would have been told, right, come back tomorrow. As God hasn't decided yet, you know. Uh, so they were they were actually at it for hours then. So yeah, unlike the so it wasn't like twelve minutes like we were saying. It was actually no. I'm, yeah, that, that was just like because the Super Bowl goes on for six hours, yeah, but there's only yeah. twelve minutes of football in it. Like, well, it's hundred percent what Mark was saying. The, the carrying around all this weight, like basically walking around like RoboCop in the mud, means that you know, you would be exhausted. So yeah. you'd go and you'd try and kill the other fella. But then you'd be like, jeez, I need a break. But you're both so tired. a few minutes. Like, you're both so tired. tired that you're just like, yeah, you t- yeah, 
just gonna catch my breath. So this isn't quite accurate in the film then. So no. they have to make it a bit more exciting. It's the end of the film. Like yeah. they, they go at it. Uh, uh, but the, the other thing is the armor is effective. Like if you you can hit someone yeah. dead on with a sword and it just it doesn't go through the armor. Like that, that, that sort of stuff so much too. so when exactly. Jacques Le, or, or sorry, you can mix up all these names. Jacques yeah. Legree is on the ground when he finally makes a mistake. He can't get up because of the weight of his armor. <laughs> yeah, and Jean, Jean is Jean is standing over him, and he can't find a place to stab him. Mm. You know, so he has to kind of really like look around. Move, He's move like, a bit confess, of the plate. Move confess, a, move a bit of the plate back there, so we yeah. get you in the neck or whatever. Yeah, but eventually, anyway, we all know what happens, and this is the judgment of God. So because of this, this isn't. There's no doubt anymore in the eyes of the king or the court or anyone. It's Jack Legree is guilty. guilty. Marguerite is ab- absolved. Uh, so is Jean as well um, of any, you know, threat to their life or anything like that. Uh, Legree's body is stripped. He's uh, then dragged yeah. through the street. They, they don't talk about this in the film beforehand. And then all this stuff just sort of happens and everyone sort of seems on board. But yeah, strip his body, drag him through the streets. Because like, up until that point, as you're saying, everything is equal because we don't know yet. But then that's the deciding moment. Like, oh no, you were actually completely honorable the whole time. Sorry about all that. Yeah. And then you were going to drag through the literal streets. Yeah. And even so much, I, I forgot to say, it's just interesting to note before we finish up, is that like Jack Legree was even knighted here because they had to be oh. on equal footing. So he was knighted just before the battle. It's crazy. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, eventually he's dragged off. He's actually then given over to the executioner of Paris who executes him again post, uh, post-mortem <laughs> execution what is that about <laughs> i don't know how they did i think you just string him up i don't know <laughs> I, I imagine it's a, it's a ceremonial sort of uh being executed by the by the temporal power having already been executed by the spiritual power that's yes. an easy one for the executioner though like that's the I yeah hope that's the end he's not earning day. his bread there is he <laughs> you know book the full hour but just like <laughs> Charged by the hour. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm gonna have to clean them <laughs> up, and, you know. And I, so I suppose the the one thing that it's not mentioned really in the in the in the actual film, but or at least I don't think it is. But like in a way, Jack Legree, Jack Legree could have got away with all of this. Oh yeah, because he was actually a priest. Or he wasn't what? a priest; he was a member of the clergy. Right? Does that just mean because he could write? Basically, like those two seem to go very hand in hand. Yeah, like he period. could have he could have uh, done he certain duties at the church and stuff yeah. like this. He never took a, an oath of celibacy. Yeah, uh, yeah. or you know uh, that wouldn't have suited him. He did have a wife and and several kids, but because of that, he could have been tried by the clergy rather than the king. So he could have got out of this duel entirely. You know, but the thing was that he. He wa- did not want to give the satisfaction to Carew. Interesting, yeah. Uh, so he allowed it, this process to continue, even though he would have been completely absolved if it was the church. Incidentally, um, I'm not getting into church bashing or whatever, but in all the legal documents we have from this time, the vast, like the, a, a large majority of rape accusations are against members of the clergy. Yeah. And they which all I, get off. Yeah, which I think... Shocked. <laughs> again, still to this day, but like... Um, I, I that's was kind of touched on in the film, I think, because it was oh, like, okay. oh, you could have gotten away with it essentially because, hey, we all do it, so we're just gonna let you off with it. Um, pretty dark, mm-hmm. but yeah. So that's the duel. What about afterwards? What happened with John de Carouge? Because this is where the film basically ends, and it goes like, basically, 
Marguerite's the closest thing she gets to a happy ending is, don't worry, de Carouge also died uh, eventually. So <laughs> she was she was okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like Marguerite lives uh, for a long, long time after. Like she lives for another, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years. Um, her husband, though, like he he's a bit of an adventure as we've seen he went he went up to scotland before he loved going on adventure so about 10 years later he decides to go a crusading sure within this 10 years he's become he's become the court favorite mm. so he's getting he's, fam- he's famous he's famous now yeah he's showered with gifts by the king he becomes like one of the a guard of honor of the king you know he he is a uh, given lots of titles and honors everything you could expect uh, and command obviously uh but he's eventually sent off on crusade about 10 years later and he never comes back it's he he's actually fighting the ottomans in what would be modern day bulgaria mm-hmm. and it's one of the last battles and last crusades um and it's the battle of nicopolis uh and we don't know what happened to him but he never came back Mm. Um, so that's about 10 years later and that sort of finishes up his story um, but a, he had children and you he's know he's a good age line. at that point though, when he, by the time he goes to the bat, over to fight the Ottomans like, yeah he's, he's a good age like, he ain't coming back like. yeah but he keeps yeah he was a, he was a real adventurer like yeah. um, one thing on, on an aside when he went to Scotland a f- few years previously uh, he arrived with all these French knights in Leet the port of Leet in Edinburgh uh, which is still there to this day and the Scots didn't want him to be there. And the Scots, <laughs> there's a quote, and the Scots are like, "Why would we want? What? Why would we want uh, you guys to come here? If we want to fight the English, we can do it on we'll our do it own." Ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we'll just walk down the road and fight you them. Yeah. But um, anyway, that's getting off topic. This is Scotland, pal. All we do is fight the English. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, if we can go a little bit off topic, Mark, you mentioned you came across the records of the last duel that happened around these parts. Yeah, so so the last the last sanctioned duel in Britain was was in the was in the fourteen hundreds, but the, but there was one that was later in the same jurisdiction, or what was the same jurisdiction at the time uh, in Dublin. So there was actually a duel in fifteen eighty three. In, and, and the duel took place in the grounds of Dublin Castle, which, again, still there. You can actually walk into where that duel took place. It's open mm. to the public now. Um, and this was uh, like sort of a... I don't want to say it's funny, but it's just it's, it's, it's a sillier duel than the, than the one you were talking about. Um, this is in a period in, in Ireland where uh, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of different traditions holding sway in different areas of the same of the same island so in in, in, <laughs> this in sounds familiar <laughs> sounds familiar yeah but it's even it's even worse back then so um in the in the 16th century uh part of the midlands not far from where michael is from um is the county offley and county offley is traditionally the the lords or the, the chiefs of the dominant clan there uh, the o'connors um were having a basically an internal dispute as to who was going to succeed the, the previous lord and the reason they're having that dispute is because they follow the old Gaelic custom whereby it's not a uh, primogenitor inheritance so in Ireland when a lord dies his son doesn't automatically become the lord or when the king dies his son doesn't automatically become the king it can be anyone who's a male relative of the of the previous lord and essentially what happened was there was two members of the O'Connor clan Tyge O'Connor and the hilariously named Connor O'Connor yeah <laughs> they have a, they have a dispute and it's it split the the clan it split the sept right down the middle and the reason why this came to to sort of the the attention of government is because it wasn't 
this isn't a, a large enough dispute to warrant a trial by combat. So one of the O'Connors accused the other of treason, which would <laughs> which would allow it to become you know a trial by combat. So the other O'Connor char- charged back. To, no, you committed treason. Well, how did they specify what treason it was? So just- so again, Ireland is not fully under control of the crown. Hmm. So there are lords who hold their titles or hold their lands, uh, having having been in rebellion and surrendered and having the land regranted back to them by the crown. But there are other lords in various regions sort of around them who are not uh, submissive to the crown at this, at this point, to the English crown so at this be point. under Breton law. So yeah. they're still following Breton law. And a lot of this is to the, to, to the west of, of Ireland. And so what one O'Connor accused the other of doing is... is uh, bearing false loyalty to the crown in England right. but actually following you know the local lord who who's off to the west of, of, of Offaly so they both accuse each other of doing this now in real terms they were both playing both sides because that's what Irish lords did whoever was sort of going to get them in power that's who they yeah. back so in any case they, they, they have to follow the judicial system so they go to the privy council and they say we're going to have to do this we're going to have to do that meanwhile their followers are also fighting so yep. uh, two of their supporters also get involved in accusing each other of treason. <laughs> so they have to have a duel first. Uh, in any case, uh, the Privy Council decides, okay, we have to settle this. These these guys are going to disrupt the entire area with their with their civil war over over who's going to inherit the the title. So um, much like the uh, the last duel, they they are given royal assent to have a trial by combat. So they have this. They have this combat in the grounds of, of Dublin Castle. The rules are slightly different. There's no horses. They're, the rules are decided they're, they will be shirtless with swords. And, uh, so they're equal in that sense. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit more like just, you know, no nonsense, there's your sword, you take your sword, let's go. I assume that didn't go on for hours and hours. but uh. Uh, Well, not hours and hours, but it, yeah, I mean, both were accomplished fighters like they both, they both knew how to, how to fight um what ended up happening is <laughs> as you might imagine uh the winner tyg um killed connor o'connor but tyg was also really badly wounded not mortally mm. but was was badly wounded and the account given of it, is, it, it, it essentially says unfortunately tyg was not also mortally wounded because apparently he's just not a very nice guy <laughs> and yeah. a lot of the witnesses are like it'd be best if they both just fucking died you know <laughs> and somebody else could inherit yeah. so yeah so that was in that was in 1583 yeah so that was the last time it happened in ireland that's uh this was a really good film but i think i would watch that film as well right? just yeah. for yeah. the crack yeah <laughs> Is there anything as we're wrapping up of interest that we might have missed that either of you want to bring up, whether it's about the film or interesting tidbits or quotes from the history? I, I'm I'm actually a little bit surprised that this wasn't uh, Netflix next sort of yes. medi- medieval uh, movie because I, yeah. I feel like it might have done better actually. Yeah, it, they, I know Netflix don't release their figures, so you can never sort of tell how well something does. But um, I, I wonder how would this have done better on Netflix given given the the sort of the pandemic culture of you know watching movies and stuff and also it would fit nicely in that like yeah. that sort of the timeline yeah that we're sort of creating you know because it's this the hundred years war again and we seem Outlaw to be king yeah the king yeah and this one yeah no they do seem more in the same sphere where yeah. uh, we've not seen one from netflix in a while i know now. yeah I know. maybe they're going off it maybe they're, maybe they're gonna make some more sports movies or something like that yeah which I suppose the algorithm be. has decided it all anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, based on the outcome, like how many people watch those films, they may have just gone, you know what, we're going to stop making these now. Yeah. And maybe we're seeing that in that same effect in the, the sort of uh, box office for this one. But mm. 
Yeah, no, it's a really interesting release time um, because so many different strategies being thrown out by all these different companies where sometimes you'll see it on a streaming service at the same time as it's in the cinema or after a 30-day window or 45-day window or what have you. Um, I don't don't envy the studio. It's hard to know what to do. Yeah, and this one obviously is... Has, has been just in the cinema. Mm. And it's interesting to see that it's such a failure in comparison where, like, so many other movies have yeah. been have done well as cinema exclusives. But either way, uh, it, it, time will tell whether it, it gets any additional attention. I do think it's definitely worth watching. For sure. Um, if you haven't seen it, especially as a fan of, of history, uh, because it's such a, like, the historical record is so detailed as well, just based on everything you've told us, Michael. And as you said, a lot of the lines in the film are lifted from the book, which is historical, lifted from historical record, obviously. Yeah. So... Really interesting to see uh, them do something so creative and interesting. And it's kind of a shame because we were saying beforehand, hopefully this will be a big hit and we'll get more historical yeah. movies. Doesn't Scott, look like it. Ridley Scott is going to be fine. He has House of Gucci as well and, you know, a million other films and he's going to be okay. But historical films as a concept, I don't think have, be- like, confidence hasn't been bolstered in the genre, no. which is really a shame. <laughs> no. Yeah. Certainly not. Certainly not. Um, I mean, I think I think they're still going to make movies that are more recent history movies. You know, they they yeah. seem they seem to be fine. But these like, you know, medieval period pieces. I think, given the expense involved in creating them, yeah. The issue is that they're not. They, yeah, it's not like a Marvel movie where they can anticipate how much money at least they're going to make. Mm. You know, with these ones, it's like it'll either be great or complete and utter. Or just even this like House of Gucci. Like it's a famous name, but ultimately this is just a movie about awful people behaving badly with money stylishly that's you know, you know that's all it is like. yeah. <laughs> but it's got a celebrity and like they they don't have so to put so much money into that expensive blue filter they have to put in front of the camera like yeah. the actual plastic they put there to make it look medieval but i mean so. does anyone really want to see jared leto dressed like an idiot like just watch him on the red carpet he's like that anyway <laughs> so on that note uh the book the main book that you've read is it's called the last jewel right any yeah. subtitle and who's written this book that's eric yeager and uh, apart from that, you know, if you're really interested in this, we're, we're becoming self-referential now, <laughs> but uh, if you check out our, our episode on The King and The Knight's Tale, it goes into, so. it covers kind of the, the same period from season one and season two, real history. Um, uh, but, you know, there's tons of sources on this. It's The Hundred Years' War, so you can go back to any book about The Hundred Years' War. But this, uh, Jewel... It was famous at the time, and it continued down the century to be fa- to to be to be famous as well. There was what I didn't like is that over time a rumor built up that basically uh, Marguerite made it all up. Uh, there was a uh, there was a unconfirmed source that years later a man on his deathbed um, confessed to the rape himself, but. When we looked into this and when the writer of the actual book looked into this, there was no evidence for that at all. Unfortunately, it had kind of stuck and you'll still see it, uh, this mistaken narrative, you'll still see it sometimes in sources and stuff like that. So that's disappointing. If anything this film did, I, I think it will tell Marguerite's story a little better. Good. And we all believe her, so... Yeah, fuck that mistake. It's a great, great note to end on. So, um, thank you for listening, everybody, and thank you, Michael, for the in-depth review. Really appreciate it. Um, can I relax now? I yeah. have too many notes. I'm really sorry, <laughs> lads. Yeah, you can tell when I'm nervous because I have too many fucking notes. You know. <laughs>
No, it was uh, really excellent, I think, and I appreciate it. Um, so if if you want to show uh, Michael's or any of us really some appreciation, why not leave a review on Apple Podcasts? Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at real underscore history um, if you'd like to interact with us. And beyond that, showswhatyouknow.com houses uh, a variety of podcasts that you might enjoy. But for now, I believe that might be the end of the reel. Cheers. Thanks a million. Thanks a million.